0: As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well versed in them and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely.
1: Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to have you here. And one of the terms you hear all the time is next level. Everyone's always trying to take things to the next level, whether it's your video game or your relationship or your business. Next level, next level, next level. Well, today, we're actually going to talk about something that can really take you to the next level. And by the time we finish today, you're going to know how getting into ownership can really launch your career. You're going to have a solid idea of what the next steps towards practice ownership are. And you're going to feel empowered about getting into practice ownership, whether it's your first time buying one or you're starting up a practice from scratch. And I couldn't think of anyone better to help us think through these issues other than Michael Denzio. And he's a dental practice broker, founder of Next Level Consultant. He actively manages over 60 dental practices across the U.S. And over the past decade, he's helped over 500. That's right. You heard me right. 500 doctors get into practice ownership, and he's going to share some of those lessons with you today. And if you stick around to the end, you're going to hear about how he played basketball with LeBron James in high school. Michael, welcome to the show. Tim,
2: thanks so much, brother. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show, man. It's uh, you run a great shop,
1: and it's a, it's an honor to be on your program. Oh well, thank you. It's a it's a lot of fun, and you know I, I'm known for helping Dennis thrive in the midst of an uncertain world, and and that we've had a little bit of uncertainty here lately, and so you know, tell me a little bit about how you got started and, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the last decade?
2: Oh, man. (laughs) I I think I've earned all my gray hair uh, over the last decade, probably the last five years, to be honest with you. But I've had an interesting journey. You know, I I started as a banker, um, did that for a long time, working with dentists across the country and uh, specifically in the Northwest and and the, the mountain region, Colorado, Wyoming. But uh, had great, great opportunity to be, be there, um, and met a lot of great people and dentists and then kind of got burned out on the dental transactional business. Uh, you know, bankers, that give you money and good luck. And then they go find somebody else to give money to. And, and that's, it's over and over. And so I, I just wanted more. And so that's what I, that's when I got into consulting. Um, so jumped over into consulting, um, joined a pretty big firm, fell in love with it wasn't the best fit for me but but a great firm nonetheless uh walked away from that opportunity and essentially started started my own firm and uh ironically uh, just as i started getting traction COVID happened <laughs> so so uncertain times definitely a lot of growth personal growth and business growth but um i'm still proud of our numbers i just just since COVID, I think we've helped 120 doctors get into
1: ownership and oh my gosh. A
2: lot of those people retained us in practice management. So
1: pretty cool story. Now, now that that's kind of crazy what you just said, is right. We just went through a major global pandemic and fear everywhere and uncertainty everywhere. And you helped 120 doctors move forward and, and either start a practice or buy a practice. That's incredible.
2: It, Tim, it is I, I, you know, a cool storyline for me, but I, I think the uh, the true story, in my opinion, is is the resiliency of our of our audience, and that's the dentists themselves. I think um, you know, it's pretty cool. I, I always say, like I went to business school, I got an MBA. Um, I, I remember statistics about you know how many MBAs will actually own their own business, and it's it's actually pretty small. Um but the but the opposite of that is you know dentists don't get any business training as you know, and the ADA at, at one time this is an old statistic but at one time it was something like like sixty percent of all dentists would own their own practices so just just think about that for a second like our our audiences, uh, the dentists themselves they're they're very bold they're they're, they're okay with risk um, and uh, and yes in the middle of COVID people still pressed on with the DSOs and the COVID and the pandemic and all of that. And, and all my my clients are doing great. So, I mean, there's always strugglers of course, but for the most part, I, I can't, I can't think of a
1: catastrophe, which is awesome. So the, the, the people who are buying practices or starting practices during COVID, did they have a different mindset? What were the questions they were asking? How are they approaching this, this, this kind of journey into ownership?
2: Dang, Tim, you asked such good questions, man. That's good, good stuff. I, you know, I, I think all of them were concerned uh, about the future, but I think a lot of questions about staffing and how how am I gonna get the team, how am I gonna retain the team? A lot of questions, a lot of questions about like how do we compare 2020's numbers to, to 19, to to 18, and even like how how this last year was in 2021. You know, I there definitely was a concern uh, about what the future holds, but I think they saw enough in the forecast and where, you know, with the, the government aid and, you know, what the banks did, uh, you know, holding back the loan payments and, and, and deferring those. And, you know, that was, that was the really, that's really the storyline, isn't it, Tim? Like how the industry rallied to make sure our, our doctors and business owners stayed stayed in in um, in business and made decent money, even in a horrible situation. So I think there was enough confidence in all of that to push my young doctors uh, forward. And, I, and and sorry for rambling, but one one point to that, and that was a lot of the owners would re- retract it and kept the production in house. And what ultimately happened is the associates really got hammered. They they either got fired. Or their production dropped because the owners came back and started working more, so I think that like hyper drived the associates to get into ownership and start taking control of their lives. Does that make sense? Because oh,
1: absolutely, I
2: mean that that's a natural thing. If I own the practice and I and the practice is doing one point five, and I have an associate part time, and the business is retracting, then it would make sense for me to take the one hundred percent of the practice's production. And just say, hey, associate, goodbye. I'm gonna keep it all in house. So I think that's what happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, it really was kind of that loss of control for the associate because, like you said, the owner doctors are pulling back saying, I you know, the work's down. I don't I don't have enough work to keep you on. I'm gonna do it all myself.
2: That's right. Or I'm gonna take, you know, this stuff, you take the the fillings, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I think it frankly, for lack of a better word, it pissed off a lot of associates, but the thing is, is ownership isn't easy either. So, I mean, that's not, um, you know, we're probably going to get into that in the program. But uh, big picture, grass isn't always greener. But I will tell you, ownership
1: in general is is a, a greener grass, in my opinion. Yeah, right. And, and I agree. It's it's not an easy road, but it, it can be done. And and so, you know, is there a certain mindset that that someone really should have before they even think about ownership? Is there is there are there certain warning signs that if someone says I just don't want to do that, then like they should never consider ownership as opposed to someone who says, yeah, this this stuff's for me. Like, w- what are some of those telltale signs that that mm-hmm. that we can listen to inside of us that that may be nudging us towards ownership?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, a couple of things come to mind. I, I think grit is probably the most um, mm. o- obvious. I think anybody that owns a practice needs grit. Like you're going to get punched in the face and it's going to hurt but you got to get, you got to be stubborn enough to, to, to get back up and shake it off. Um, so grit just in general, you know, you, you, you think owning, you're going to get, um, flexibility in your life. It's probably the opposite. You know, you're going to be working on a late Friday, pulling, pulling the reports and monitoring the practice and all of that good stuff. Right. Um, so grit is number one. If, if you want it and you're stubborn enough to have it, that's what you need. The other, the other thing I will say is you have to, you know, even though you might not be excellent, all these things um, it's important to note that in some, some form, some, some capacity of yours, I think you have to be an influencer. Uh, I I think the good owners can influence their team and what they're, what they're trying to implement. Um, But even more important, an influencer to the patients. Uh, I'm not saying you have to be an amazing salesperson, but if you don't feel comfortable talking to people about treatment and the long-term effects and just frankly educating people on, on treatment, um, if, if you, if, if you can't do that, you're going to struggle as a, as a practice owner. Um, So just in having, you know, some kind of experience in, in influencing, or at least comfortable with it. Uh, and, and then the last piece is just leadership. I think I think if you're a natural born leader, it's an easy decision. Um, if you have no leadership skills, don't think you could just plug into a practice and it's just going to run itself because I promise you it, it will not. And mm-hmm. Acquisitions are the easier route in that department um, because you can plug in. Um, but do not kid yourself. A leadership element needs to come out inside you because you're going to have a vision and the practice is going to have, you know, changes
1: and challenges and you got to address those as a leader. So, yeah. So, right. leadership's one of those words that gets tossed around all the time. And so when you use leadership, what do you mean by that?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, someone told me more recently, and I think this is the best way of saying it is um, asp- aspiring because we all aspire to be better, but aspiring to uh lead, it, you know you're a great leader when you can teach people how to be leaders and teach that and, and that person can teach another person to also mm. lead so like almost three levels deep of cre- creating and developing leaders inside of an organization that's when you know you're a great leader now that in itself would be very very difficult but if a dentist can create a leader at the front office to really manage the front office the team the whole thing a dental assistant is the lead dental assistant and can really lead their dental assistants and a head hygienist all of that to to, to help somebody create um, accountability a a structure for issues concerns challenges um, open communication and safety uh, transparency is huge uh, I, I think all of those things are true leadership aspects um, that that somebody needs to be in ownership yeah, at I some know. level anyways, at some level.
1: Yeah, I, I love that because I, I do a lot of thinking about, right, w- what is leadership? And and for me, you know, I've really kind of settled on, you know, leadership is expanding people's visions of what's possible, right? Whether that's your team or your patients, right? Can you expand their vision of what's actually possible? And then if you can expand their vision, are you there to challenge them? to reach that vision and support them right you're going to challenge them more than they've ever been challenged and support them more than they've ever been supported as they push towards this bigger vision of the future and and yeah right leadership you got to lead your team in your practice yeah i
2: I, I love the challenge part tim because uh um is it a book called the challenger i think but challenging people you can get really great results and in a constructive way yeah, I, I think people really can have serious
1: personal growth when they're when they're ultimately challenged. So that, I love that. So true. And and so right. So, so kind of coming back to, you know, l- let's say we've got that grit and, you know, we've decided, yeah, you know, I'm, I am I am good at communicating. I can, you know, talk about treatment plans and, and I'm ready to take on the, the leadership role and grow. Well, now you got to start asking a question about, you know, how do you get into the whole practice ownership thing? And and there really are kind of two routes, right? It's the buying an existing practice or the de novo and starting up from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, t- do think, how do you think through those things? I mean,
2: that that that's kind of the the title of this episode is buy or build, right? And which mm-hmm. ones which one's right for you? And I really think you need to think through this because. um, you know, there's, there's the partnership, uh, stay as an associate and partner in. Uh, there's the full-out buyout, the acquisition, and then there's, of course, the startup. And two of those is, is you taking on 100% of the ownership and you're running with it. And, you know, the, the startup is, is someone that's um, very entrepreneurial, um, very uh, clear, crystal clear vision. Crystal clear. I'm talking crystal, crystal clear. Um, uh, Let's see here. Um, Not afraid of taking uh, some risk. Um, I would say that the influencer, that that comment that I just made, has to be on another level with the startup um, because you have brand new people that have never been trained to what you're trying to do. And you've got new patients coming in and you want them to refer their patients and and their, you know, you're trying to get a lot of people to do what you're trying to do to make this thing happen from scratch. So so that startup person, you know, influencing entrepreneur spirited, um, comfortable with risk, uh, crystal clear vision. The acquisition person is not wrong or right. It's it, it, there's no better or worse in my opinion. So a lot of people say acquisitions better. I, it's it's a different better. A Startups a different better. But there's definitely some challenges with acquisitions too, and we can get into that. But the acquisition person is more of um, I know what I want. Um, I have vision, but but I'm gonna kind of just feel this out and play this by ear, and I'm it, it feels a little safer because. I've got cash flow and I can build from something, you know, that's already kind of a foundation. I can build from it. Um, you know, it, it can can adapt well. Uh, you know, can doesn't have to be the most um eccentric influencer in the world because there's already patients and it's just making sure that those patients are comfortable with you and retaining them. Um You know, it's it's I hate to say it because I hate this term, but it's more of a plug, a plug and play than it is a a pure setup. Um, There's no such thing as plug and play, by the way, in acquisitions. But but for the most part, there's a lot of foundation laid right before you. And now you just need to tweak it, optimize it. So two different strategies, again, uh, totally different
1: challenges. Yeah. Do, do you, right. Like out of all the doctors, you helped start practices during COVID. Was there a trend one way or the other?
2: Um, you know, no, I, I don't know if it's just me and what I've, I've attracted, uh, but it, it came in cycles. At first it was acquisition. So it seemed like during the pandemic or right after the pandemic, it was really heavy acquisitions. And then that kind of dried up a little bit. And then it got really crazy. Startups and and usually, you know, if, if I if I were to try to make sense of the chaos, <laughs> um, I I think that a, a lot of practices uh, for sale dried up, mm-hmm. and so it forced people to do the startup because they couldn't find anything that they wanted, and then and then practices flooded the market again, and then the acquisitions picked up. So I really do believe that. Nine out of 10 times the dentist will do an acquisition if it's in front of them. Um, But oftentimes it's not in front of them because of the demand or I'm sorry, the the inventory, the supply, Uh, the demand's always there is what I'm trying to get at. So then it forces people to take their ownership into their own hands and do it de novo
1: Yeah. Okay. So, right. What are the, what are kind of the first steps if if you want to start going down this road, right? Whether owning or, or starting up, like, like what are the, just the first steps in, in just moving forward on this journey?
2: For a scratch or for acquisition?
1: Uh, just to even like start the conversation and start, you know, working towards this process.
2: Yeah. So um, acquisitions have a different kind of path than, than a startup. So we'll, we'll go we'll go startup first and then we'll flip back to acquisition. So startups, um, you know, you need some cash. Actually, both both scenarios need some cash. You need some money in the bank. Think about it, guys. Like you're there. They're, the bankers aren't going to ask you to put the money into the deal. That's one of the benefits of having a DDS behind your name. Mm-hmm. Um, There's really good financing, really good financing. Like if Tim and I were going to do a business, we would have to put 15, 20% down on something to start. You guys have to put nothing down just because you have a DDS. So financing is ridiculous. However, that that doesn't exclude you from having to have some cash in the bank and being financially uh, solid. I think the banks just don't want you to you know, the roof blows off, you can replace it. The water heater blows, you can replace it. The car breaks down, you can replace it. And nothing, not one single event can crush you. And I think that's ultimately what they want is some stability in your life. So I think cash is king. Uh, So either direction, you need to qualify. You need less cash for a startup than an acquisition traditionally. Um, And so, but but just a golden rule, however much you're going to borrow, you need 10%. I mean, in the bank sitting, not to put in the deal, but just to have, um, so get some cash. The second thing I would say is, um, you know, think about where you want to live in your lifestyle. Um, you know, don't chase the acquisition just because it's a great opportunity. Chase, chase, chase your lifestyle because there's plenty of people mm-hmm. that chase money and it doesn't work out too well. And so, I have a lot of clients call me and say, I want to, I want to own, but I'm not sure if I want to go to Texas, Alabama, or Ohio and whatever, you know, pick three States. And, and it's like, why? Well, I don't even know where to start with you doc until you tell me where you want to live and buy a house and have babies and get married or whatever. Like, because if I help you get into ownership, you're, you're there. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is a commitment of your entire life. So find that out. Um, and then um, demographics are usually my first step. Uh, especially for a startup. Like um, for a startup, I, I want to know, and you can follow, you can jump into Startup on, on uh, Unscripted, our, my my podcast. And we talk really heavily about um, the, the startup process and getting into demographics. But you want to find an area that needs dentistry, not crazy uh, competitive. That's also helpful for an acquisition too, but less important. It's important, but less important because when you're buying a practice, you have active patients, you have that goodwill there. So the, d- the demographics aren't as important as they are for, for a startup. Um, so yeah, those, those are kind of like the first steps is, is say finding out where you want to live, looking at demographics, um, saving some cash. Um, I, here's another tip, you, especially for acquisition folks, uh, pull your production reports and, and have that on hand because if, you, if you're going to present an opportunity to a bank, um, they need to know that you're a producer or, or, or maybe maybe let me retread that. They want to know you can handle the practice that you're trying to get into. So if this practice is a million dollar practice and the hygiene takes up 30 percent, that means you have to collect at least 700 as an associate. And if you only have a production report that says you can do 400,000, there's a gap there. So really focus on production. Like if you're trying to buy a big practice, but you can't prove that you can handle a big practice, figure that part out. Um, less of an issue with startups. Startups start at zero and go mm-hmm. from there. So yeah. these are just some, just some things we could keep this conversation going, too. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I think one of the most important things you said there, and it, and it gets missed so often, is, right, figure out where you want to live. Like, what does your lifestyle look like? And, and this is a lesson my wife and I went through. My wife's a dentist and she inherited her father's practice and has always tried to kind of make it work, but it was never really hers. And, yeah. and it even got to a point that like, you know, pre COVID December before COVID hit, she listed it on the market. Yeah. She said, I'm out. But meanwhile, you know, yeah. as it was listed and no buyers were coming in, you know, she worked with a great consultant, you know, a great friend. And all of a sudden, a year later, she said, you know what? I haven't had any buyers. And I Kind of like my practice now.
2: <laughs> it's, not, awesome.
1: it's like I, I built something that, that's that's a reflection of me and my values and what I want, not my dad's practice, it's mine.
2: Love and
1: it. So she fell in love with her practice again. Yeah. And you know, so so that goes back to like right, figure out what lifestyle you want. Like what kind of practice do you want? Mm-hmm. Because what's the point of slaving away every day, right? It, it's about mm-hmm. thriving and living an abundant life. Yeah, right. Not not a, a life of slavery, right? Yeah. That's how you reach yeah. the next level is by really Aligning your goals and, and letting the practice support those.
2: One hundred percent. I, as you were talking, uh, her her vision got super clear. And although, and that's the thing with acquisitions is, remember I just said that mm-hmm. is like you have to have a crystal clear vision for startup because you're creating yeah. it from scratch. But when you buy a practice, sometimes vision has to take a, a, a back seat, like your wife, mm-hmm. and but after all these years she was like yeah. i'm done and exhausted it's tough to run somebody else's vision that's a that's a con that's a that's not yeah. a pro but a con and the con column of an acquisition is you're a little bit of a, a slave to what you're inheriting when you buy mm-hmm. but over time slowly yeah. you can start making those changes she got a reset during COVID. what a great time to reset. Oh, yeah. How cool yeah. is that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was such a blessing and we're, we're so glad we did it. And, and just the act of like knowing she has the freedom to, to get rid of the practice whenever she wants, she's like in there and loves it now. Right. There, there's something <laughs> about that freedom that enables you to stay and, and keep going.
2: I love it. I love that, man. Right? That's a cool yeah, story.
1: When yeah. you don't feel trapped, you can keep pushing and keep doing things.
2: That's cool. So, That's a great story, man. Yeah. yeah Congratulations. Yeah. That's well, cool.
1: thank you. Yeah. And then, like you said, though, with with the startup, you got to be crystal clear because Mm -hmm. now you're the only one building this thing.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. And I I think that's the biggest pitfall, Tim, is um, I think a lot of people go into startups Mm -hmm. and they let the the world dictate their vision and. I'm on these like Facebook groups, uh, that, like, for example, the making of a startup. And that's a great, great, great uh, forum, by the way. Um, but I, I just watch people's comments. And it's really interesting because sometimes and, and I, of course, I'm biased because I'm a consultant. I'll just call out the obvious. But a lot of people are like, oh, you don't need to start. You don't need to consult. And then maybe you don't. It's totally fine. But the point is, someone said, like, well, they'll help you do all that. They'll help you find a space. They'll help you build it. They'll help you get equipment. It's true. Someone's going to do all that stuff for you. The, the challenge with that is if you don't go into every meeting with intentionality of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, what your vision is, what your business plan is, mm-hmm. if you don't go into those meetings, they are going to drive you through what they think is the traditional startup, what they've done a hundred times before you. Pretty soon you might have a practice that doesn't even reflect your vision because you followed a real estate person's guidance and they, they're not doing anything wrong. The, the equipment reps, the contractors, the architects, they, they're not doing anything wrong. They're helping you get into ownership. They're doing the best they can. But yeah. if you're not crystal clear about what you're trying to achieve, th- there's, there's a, pit, a a pitfall. Um, yeah,
1: their vision can get imposed over yours. It happens every day. And yeah. not because they're bad. They're like, they're trying to help you crystallize they're, yours. That's right. All these other visions of things they've seen, but it's not your authentic vision.
2: That's right. And, no. and let's put that into practicality. You, you walk into a meeting at Starbucks and you you meet with the real estate person and, and you're like, hey, uh, where's the best places? I don't know where to go. Where do I start? And then they start touring and you're looking at all these spaces. And next thing you know, you're like, let's put an offer on that. So that's scenario one. Scenario two would be, hey, hey Tim, uh, I, I'm looking in these three spots. Um, I'm looking for 2,000 square feet. I'm really interested in something that's less than 75,000 a year in rent. Um, I really need $100,000 in tenant improvement allowances because the bank has only lent me $600,000. I have a hundred and working capital, and so it's really important for me to hold back some marketing dollars. So I need that first and main uh, exposure because I don't have a ton of marketing dollars, and I need that that high-traffic area. Yeah, that's totally different
1: than hey, where do I start, Mister Mike or Mister? Yeah, T. right. Completely, completely different. And uh, I, you know, the, the whole coaching thing—I want to touch on that as the second. <laughs> okay. because we're, we're going to talk about a basketball player here at the end. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You think he's ever had any coaches in life? I love where you're going with this. Yeah, I I don't know a single professional athlete anywhere who doesn't have a coach, right? Someone who who knows the ropes, who can help you spot your weaknesses, help you spot your strengths and, and focus on what's important. Because I don't know about you. I get distracted all the time. Mm -hmm. And my coach is helping bring me back. So I focus on the important things and I do the right things and I'm doing the right exercises and stretching the right muscles. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I believe a coach accelerates success, not hinders it.
2: No, they do. Tim, I, you know, the easiest example, and maybe it's a bit cliche because everybody talks about it, but you can hire uh, a gym, a gym trainer, Mm -hmm. but uh, if you're not eating the right way or if you're not going into the gym or if they tell you to pick up that weight and you don't pick it up, w- what results are you going to get? It's not the, it's not the trainer's fault. Right. And yeah. so, and I think it's all human. It's human nature. I, I need a coach. In fact, I was thinking this week, I need one. I need one. I need one because we're hitting this, like this growth spurt. And mm. it's like, wh- where do we go with, with the business and the vision ourselves? I, I mean, I'm a coach myself and I, we all struggle with this stuff. And so Coaching is very important. just for the exact reason that you just said, it's just keeping you on point.
1: Now, now I am looking for that fitness coach who will actually go to the gym <laughs> and do the push ups for me. Yeah. Get the results. I, I haven't found that one yet. I, I you know, but you, you when, you, it, hey, I when you find it, when you find out. No,
2: I was just going to say, when you find it, you let me know. <laughs> so
1: I, that's what I've been looking for. But, you know, good coaches come really close because they really help you do a lot of the, the heavy lifting and you just got to implement.
2: It's 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 spot on. Yeah, um, yeah it's by if, if you have other basketball fans out there, we're going to hit the story here pretty soon. I can yeah. tell. But like I watched The Last Dance, the, the Michael Jordan. Mm. Do you, if Even if you're not a big basketball fan, go to go to I think it's on Netflix. It's The Last mm-hmm. Dance. If you read that story, Michael Jordan, one of the greatest um, uh, of all time. Um, arguably, but I don't think it's much of an argument. He's the best, right? He didn't win any championships like for his first half of his entire career until Phil Jackson was his coach. Once Phil Jackson, uh, and he won, he won Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Player. I mean, he won all the awards in in that short period of time, but never had won a championship until Phil Jackson. And that that there you go, right? And when and when they won that last one, and they forced Phil out. Uh, He quit, you know, so back to the coaching.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think that's one of the interesting things that that you bring that I'm really hearing. And and you mentioned it in the, you know, the kind of introduction and, you know, you were a banker and you're helping people fund the practice. Right. That's a really important role. But it's like, once it's funded, maybe you come back in a couple of years and do some equipment, but you're, you're not really in the practice, you mm-hmm. know, helping shape it and mold it. And, you know, even a lot of times practice brokers, they'll get you into the practice and then they're right. off doing something else, right? They're, yeah. they're on that next transaction. That's you know, right. this feels like a very holistic way to, to really help someone transform and, and move through this process yep. and hold their hands the whole way.
2: Yeah, we have we have coaches on staff. That's why we're called next level consultants. It's not okay. just the Mike D'Incio show. Yeah. Um, my partner's a hygienist of thirty years. She's a practice owner herself as a hygienist in Arizona, <laughs> um, Invisalign coach, biolays coach. She helps integrate both of those products into teams or into practices. Um, she she's just a a wealth of of knowledge. So from a clinical and operations and systems, she's got you covered there. And then we have other coaches that help with the front desk, front office, is real-world experience. Um, they, they credential. We can even do third-party billing if we have to. So our array of services goes pretty deep beyond Mike Densio. I, I get people started. I get them motivated. I set them up for success. But I got an even more talented team to drive that performance and, and take take the practice to the next level, literally. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's who you surround yourself around coaches and, um, um, team members, uh, who you surround yourself with is, is truly, um, uh, the, the, the difference maker, I think.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's, it, it's the team. And, you know, cause a, a lot of times and I, you know, I think this is so important for, for anyone listening to graphs, right. If you're going into ownership, right. You're going to have a team of people, not just your staff in your office. It's going to be, you know, Who's doing your marketing for you? Who's running your payroll? Who's doing your bookkeeping? Who's doing your billing, right? Who are your suppliers? Who are your vendors, right? How do you work all that stuff out, right? Who are the attorneys you're going to work with, right? Who's going to help you find those real estate spaces? And and a lot of times, you know, a lot of doctors, you're just left kind of trying to piece all this together. Mm -hmm. And my guess is you've been doing this long enough where you've got that team that you can bring in and really help people bring in the right experts at the right time
2: yeah yeah well i mean we're in 20 states so i don't know everybody in the country Mm -hmm. but um i know what a team member sounds like and looks like and i can interview them for you and for the most part the the industry is pretty small you know um the bankers are similar in your state than my Mm -hmm. state i mean uh the structures and 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 the process is is it's the same and so so yes the the team is is everything but um you know, you you still gotta you gotta be the CEO and the leader of all of them, even though you might not know what equipment to buy, yeah. you might not know if the sink should be in between the wall or in each operator. You might not know these little things, but your 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 vision is is crystal clear on on that. And it, flipping over to acquisition, same thing. Practice brokers are really good at selling you practices. <laughs> it might not be a good fit for you you know what i mean you might not be able to do the production that this practice yeah. is doing or 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 maybe the hygiene's too weak and the goodwill isn't there i mean they're really good at selling practices if you don't if you aren't crystal about what you're trying to get or accomplish or able to to take on then then you you need some help and and uh i can do it anyways but there's a lot of other people great people out there
1: yeah so, you know, let, let, let's say we've jumped in, you know, we're, we're in ownership, we're, you know, six months, a year in, you know, like you said, ownership isn't easy. What are some of the frustrations that, that we're going to be facing and, and, and dealing with? And in like, you know, what's going to be that thing that's making us pull our hair out at night saying, why did I do this? Mm. And then help us push through and, and help us see why it's worth it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I think your wife would agree that it's team. It's always team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's managing the team. I mean, uh, before you own something, you were, a, an individual, an operator, and you could plug in and plug it, plug out and not, not check your phone at night while you're watching Game of Thrones and, and just, you know, just hanging. Um, when you're an owner, you're getting texts at 7 PM, 8 PM. Hey, I'm not coming in tomorrow. I'm sick. Or I've, my babysitter dropped off the face of the earth. I got, you know, it's just stuff or, or I need a raise day one, uh, you know, of the transition. Um, I mean, it's it's just ongoing. It's always team. I, I think operationally, systems, scheduling, collecting the money, great communications with the patients and treatment planning. Uh, that all is very, very important. Those systems are very important. That's what's going to take you from an 800 to a 1.2. All that that little stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, the biggest shocker for most uh, newer owners is, oh my God, I got a team that I have to manage and get them all to walk and talk in the same direction. And if it's an acquisition, um, it can be even more challenging to plug into a system that you don't like and you got to bite your tongue or you got to do change slow. Mm-hmm. um with that team because they have been doing this for 30 plus years and it's been working great and why should we change right where they may have gotten lost in in 1920 technologies <laughs> and you know now people are responding to text message to confirm and mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know what is up with the postcard confirmations I, uh, lately like I thought that was like a, di- a dinosaur move where they're sent, you're sending postcard confirmations. Um, you know, it's all right here. If you're watching on screen, it's, it's yeah. this is where it's at. Yeah. So, so if you've got, uh, I always call it the, um, the, the Na- uh, Nancy Greta Ethel theory. Okay. At the, fr- especially at the front desk. So you walk in and, uh, Nancy's the front desk and you're like, Hey, you know what, why do we do it this way? She's, well, Greta and Nancy, by the way, has been in the industry for two years, two years. She's mm-hmm. got some experience. She's doing a good job, but she got trained by Greta at her last <laughs> office and Greta has been doing it for 20 years. And this is how Greta did it. So if you, if you backtracked and talked to Greta, greta be like, Oh, I talked to uh, my trainer was Ethel and Ethel did, did dentistry 40 years ago. And so you've got Nancy who's doing things that Uh, Ethel (laughs) taught in the dental industry. And literally you all go out and get CE every single year, every single week to, to better your skills. Those front office people aren't doing that. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, it's team. It's change. It's how to get people to, to, to adopt change. And we talked a little bit about that with
1: leadership and communication stuff. I think uh, there's, there's plenty to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, right. Once someone's pushed through this and they've, you know kind of got some stability and they've worked through some of that that leadership and and inspiration piece and and getting the team together what are some comments you hear from doctors a, after they've been in this process a bit
2: well i think they're always happy they did it mm-hmm. and if you talk to their financial advisors they're better off than they were as associates right yep. <laughs> and tim <laughs> all you, the time you're having that conversation now it took a lot of effort and work and um it's now your little, your, your baby. I, I would say uh, everybody's happy they did it. And um, yeah, there's a, of course a few, there's like, I, uh, I wish I would have just stayed as an associate, you know? Um, and then that's where you got to check yourself um, a little bit with where you're at today if you're not an owner, but you know, they they would say, yeah, I, um, a team's a challenge, but um that these are our goals this year and we're going to slowly chip away at them. And, um, our, you know, having goals uh, and, and and thinking about the change that you want to make every year is key. And you should kind of have a vision for what you want to do, you know, one year, three year, five years or more out, because the team can only handle so much change. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think the folks that have been doing it for a minute you know, don't do too much, um, right away. Uh, give yourself some time, give your team some time. Uh, but yeah, financially they're, they're usually happy. Um, and, uh, hindsight's 2020, 20, but they definitely probably learned a lot too.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, and do you see them going on after they've kind of got that first practice up and running? Are they going out and maybe starting a second one or third one? Is that a common thing that you see?
2: You know, it's, it's not, uh, actually, um, I think that takes a special person, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an, it's not a bad idea. It's just um, to, to manage one team uh, is hard enough. And then to go to the second is a game changer. Um, you know, this first practice was your baby. You could give it all the TLC that you can, you could work harder and see the bottom line effect uh, mm-hmm. of working harder and producing more and scheduling more and doing bigger procedures you get you get the uh, the profitability out of that, but the minute you go to a second office, now you're managing another dentist usually, and to get a dentist, another another of you to care as as much as you do to diagnose the way you do, uh, maybe it's over diagnosing, maybe it's it's usually under diagnosing, quite frankly, but it's just a different game. The profitability changes from like, hey, I, I'm used to you know, a a 40% to 50% profitability. Now I'm managing a 10 to 15% profitability because you're paying another dentist 30%. So it's a totally different game. I I would say, no, I would say the one percenters are doing that, Tim. But that being said, you know, the the folks that have had partners that went into a deal with two dentists, Mm -hmm. those people... Would probably look to buy a second office because there's two dentists. Yeah, I'm saying the minute you go away from owner operator away from that Mm -hmm. and you start doing kind of like what my partner did, my my uh, Paula who's a hygienist, who managed to practice and and had to manage a dentist. Does that make sense? So it changes the game totally.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think you know we got a question here from Keith Woods that I'll pop up on the screen in a second. But, you know, I, I think that that's so right because a lot of times a doctor will be in that practice. They'll get it up and running, but it's not necessarily running it at at full potential, right? They're 70% of the way there, or, you know, 65. And they think, oh, the way I get to the next level is I got to go get another practice.
2: Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Instead of
1: saying, I got to make this one work. I know. It should work.
2: Here's a KPI that I always follow. And and Mm -hmm. let's get to Keith's question, but... Um, my, my, if you're not doing at least 30, at least $30,000, maybe even 25, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. $25,000 per op per month, at least you have, you have room, room in your own office. So mm-hmm. why do you have to do 2 million with two offices? Why can't you do 1.8 with one and make way more
1: money? Yeah, Exactly. Exactly right. People forget about those profit margins, don't they? <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, yeah. what was
2: that question from Keith? Yeah,
1: Keith is jumping in, and you know, he says, "Are are people more willing to sell post Corona?" I, I think that's your question there, Keith. Is is there more buyers coming or more sellers coming into the market and more willing mm. to part with their practices? Have you seen that, Michael? Oh,
2: um, I think there's been definitely more buyers. If that's even a, a a possibility. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a lot of buyers before uh, COVID. But again, that after effect that we talked about with the whole associates getting kind of bottom feeder type status with the owners, it, it created, screw this, I want to own my own practice. So there so there was a lot of demand uptick as far as selling the practice. Yeah, th- there were definitely a lot of sellers that are like, I'm done with this. Kind of like your wife, you said she was yeah. ready and she was done. I think anybody that was tired of ownership before uh, the virus or the pandemic, Mm -hmm. uh, those people like rushed to sell because they were already tired and the pandemic just kind of like put them on overload. So yeah, I think there was a rush of sellers, but now that in my opinion has settled, um, you know, the the folks that got a lot of government aid and benefited from all of the, the, the government aid. I think that kept a lot of people around, too. But now all of that is kind of smoothed out. And now they're, you know, I think we're
1: back to the normal demand. So I, I hope we answered the question there. OK. Yeah. I, and I'll tell you, one of the things I've seen also, and I have certainly heard conversations around is, you know, some of the doctors haven't really popped back up to their they're pre-COVID levels, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of practices have a, a lot of, I, I would say actually the vast majority of doctors have had their best years ever right after this. But you know, some mm-hmm. of them say, Oh man, I, I kind of want to get out. I want to transition, but I gotta get my levels back up to to pre-COVID. I don't want to sell now. I want to mm-hmm. build it back up. And I've I've heard that from several dentists, and that's almost kind of holding maybe a little of the the supply back, is this yeah. mentality of I I want to get my practice up another two, 300,000 to where I was just a couple years ago.
2: Yeah. Cool. And, and and if you're struggling to do that, let, let me know, we'll do a free practice analysis and I'll show you where those holes are in your practice. It's usually systems. Mm-hmm. And the, and the cool thing is, is someone that's owned their practice for a long time. Like, like it sounds like your wife, it's way easier to grow a practice by five, 10, 15, even 30% if after you've owned it for a while. And just being intentional about maybe maybe hard not hard pressing but maybe discussing uh timelines and the urgency with patients more just just focusing on that's going to get you an increase but the point that i'm making here is yeah if you you should be back up at Mm -hmm. this point you really should like uh there was a theory that 2021 and some bankers even said this to me and it was to me was a little bit silly but there was a theory that there was some pent up energy from COVID and it spiked 2021 numbers because there was pent up, you know, yeah. things. And I, I just didn't see that. I saw the spike in 2020, like all those people that needed cleanings during the shutdown, they tried to get back in and there was that spike. Mm-hmm. And so that helped a lot of people recover inside 2020. Yeah. And maybe there was a little aftermath of early on 2021. For the most part, I see most people uh, are at the 2019 number that they were mm-hmm. at. Most people, if you haven't recovered, something something's going, on. Something, yeah, something's no, I, going and, on.
1: And I would say that's that's the minority, but I've 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 definitely had those conversations. It's not yeah. you know, my, my informal data would tell you it's probably five percent, six percent of the people I talk to. Yeah. But yep, that's five or six percent of practices. That oh are shoot listed.
2: Well so. well just the, just the hygiene situation <laughs> alone has yeah. been a game changer. and yeah. honestly, I, I think if you're having a hard time keeping or maintaining or finding a hygienist that that in itself could prevent you from hitting your 19 numbers. I mean, I think the ADA published an article that a third of our hygienists never came back <laughs> and still aren't planning on coming back. And if you don't have a hygienist in your office, it's a game changer because now all of a sudden you're doing profies instead of doing crowns or yeah. root canals or bigger fillings or whatever it's, it changes the dynamic of the practice completely.
1: Yeah. So no, Hey, th- this has been such a, a great conversation. I know we've got a, some listeners here and uh, if you go ahead and hit that like button and subscribe a couple of times, we're going to, we're going to tell you about LeBron James. Anyone want to, I, I know I want to hear the story. I mean the the the, the story is the story. I, I I grew up in Ohio.
2: LeBron uh, LeBron did too, and uh, they restructured the the tournament play in high school basketball. And here's this little farm school that I that I uh, went to. Uh, literally graduated like ninety some students, right? So uh, still, I don't think I was in the top ten. Isn't that embarrassing? Um, but the the point that I'm making here is that they restructured it and somehow this private Catholic school ended up in our bracket and I'll never forget Tim that my, my coach came in. We actually had a really good team that year. Like I was excited as a senior, I was excited to take a run in the tournament, you know? And, and I remember this exciting, but also disappoint disappointment in that meeting. my coach came in and kind of had mixed emotions about it. Just like I did once I heard the news and he goes, well, Uh, bad news is LeBron James's team is in our bracket. Um, and you know, we probably won't make it that far this year, (laughs) but the good news is, is I had a choice to make. We could go on this side of the bracket and, uh, play them, or we could go in this side of the bracket and make it further in the tournament, but ultimately lose anyways later. And he goes, but we would have to beat all those teams to, to get there. And so he chose, to go LeBron James in the second round, so we had to win the first game, which we did. And um, I'll never forget. I mean, he he was super skinny back then, and he's a he's a house now, you know, a house. And it was it, he, he. I think he was a sophomore. That's dating my age, anyways. But uh, I did switch off and I guarded him, and he did the cro- a crossover. It was so fast it landed me on my butt, and it was ridiculous. They crushed us, ninety nine to like forty eight oh. or something. <laughs> But, but
1: still, what a memory, man!
2: I know, I know. I think we got uh, T-shirts. I was there. I think uh, the T-shirt was like, I was there.
1: <laughs> it was so stupid. But, uh, no, it, right. It's just one of those cool little moments that, that you remember, that's yeah. special, that that stands out. So that's, I had eight
2: what, points. Just, just FYI, I had eight points. Hey,
1: was, hey, better than I've bad. ever done. <laughs> so, that's fantastic. uh so That's hey, I, I was also poking around on your your website, and I'm going to post the link up here because you've got some fantastic white papers, right? The first three steps of a startup, nine yeah. questions to ask a seller when doing due diligence, which is super important. And Huge. Mastering the art of reactivation, like oh man, like mastering the art of reactivation. Come on, grow your yeah. practice right there. So it's the,
2: easy, it's the lowest hanging fruit right there. Yeah, so
1: I, I'm going to put that there, and I would encourage people to to engage with those and, and find them. Michael, how Please. can we, how can we get hold of you?
2: Uh, just, just call me or email me. You got it on the screen. Um, if you want to call me, I'll, I'll give you my phone number. at 720-309-9551. I'm an open book like that. Um, if I can't get to you quickly, we'll get you, we'll get you, we'll get you scheduled. But listen, man, I, I'm a younger dude in the industry. You, you've already seen that face to face, but I've got a lot of years to go in this dental industry and I've got a lot to give still. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I'm I'm here to help. I'm, I'm literally here to help. I love business. I love the business of dentistry. And I know it's a lot of weaknesses of you all out there. And I, I just simply want to help. I I still have that fire in my belly. So uh, if I ever lose that, I'll get out of the game. That's for sure.
1: What well said. And actually, Hey, Keith had a a follow-up question. I think this is such a great question too. But right. A lot of the dental practices, they really did stay afloat due to government funding. Right. My wife's mm-hmm. practice. One, If we didn't have that, we would have been in a lot of trouble. And so he says, are you are you really buying a practice based on pumped up numbers? Like, yeah, how, how do you value of that practice?
2: Love love that question. It's cool. Cool insight there. Uh, way to think about that. So uh, anybody that knows they're doing what they're doing in valuation is you, you're not looking at 2020. Literally, I don't even factor 2020 in. It's like it didn't even happen. So I'm looking at 2021, and I'm looking at 19, I'm looking at 18, and I'm comparing all of that. I'm even looking at the first six months of 2022. So it's all about the last year, really, when you're doing valuation. So that's number number one. You don't you don't look at uh, you don't look at that year. That year's like a year we'll never forget, and you don't you don't use it in your valuation. The second thing is is you back out all of that aid. It's usually right into the tax return. You can see it. It's called other income. You have to ask the questions. If you don't ask the questions, Keith, yeah, you could, you could get stuck there. So get somebody like, like me or Tim that knows, knows what they're doing and, and really look at those numbers. Uh, even pair up with a CPA that can look at that stuff. But yeah, you take out all of that other income and that's what you compare across the board. And that's not profitability. That was just a gift. So yeah, so yeah you got to adjust that nonsense
1: out. Well, right. And, and that's kind of what the due diligence process is really all about. It's adjusting the numbers so you really know what you're getting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's right. So there's the income that you report to the IRS, <laughs> uh, which is always different than the real income. And a lot of people call that EBITDA um, you know, earnings before uh, depreciation, amortization and in interest and taxes. Uh, and so uh, you got to get to that root number and then look at it for all the years that matter. Don't include 2020 uh, and, and take out all of the nonsense income and, and take out all the nonsense expenses too. Uh, If wife or husband's on the payroll, that's not normally take that out. That's, that's income. If, if, if you have a four, a pension that is showing up as uh, employee expenses, you're an employee of your own company. That's up. That's profit. It's not a real expense. Depreciation, amortization, okay. interest. All of these things are "quote unquote" fake expenses. So that we, you know, it's the game of the taxes. Bottom line. So you gotta you gotta make those adjustments. Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I always kind of explain them as they're legitimate business expenses. Yeah. That you, as the new owner, may or may not want right? You may choose to do your CEs online instead of going over <laughs> to Europe every six months. Right? <laughs> so, so they're legitimate. It's just, how do you want to spend the profit of the practice?
2: That's right. The goal is to try to get to the brass tax income that the practice made. And then from there you make your valuation and uh, you're right, Tim, like you just try to get it to the brass tax and then, yeah, you might run your business a little bit different. However, I will say a lot of practice brokers get too crazy with those addbacks and or, or adjustments and like like taking pension away, even though it's discretionary. Yeah, if you did that, you might lose your team day one. So so sure, it, it could be considered a discretionary expense. But if you took it away, you might have a major impact on the business. So there's certain things that should pass your sniff test. Again, back to the team, right, Tim? Like you got to have the right team around you to walk you through kind of the scenarios, but there's always going to be a little different between what the practice broker says the EBITDA is, or what I say, or what the bank says, or what Tim says, everybody's going to have their own number. And then you just got to decide, okay, what's the average of all this? And yeah, you know, all that. Well, That's, I, it's a fun I, game.
1: Ultimately, the bank really gets to the side because they're lending the money. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, so they kind of get the final say. Yeah. yeah. If they don't finance it. They don't finance it.
2: That's right. That's right. That's well, right. Well,
1: hey, so. any closing thoughts before we sign off here, Michael?
2: Yeah. Close. Uh, just, you know, if you're thinking about ownership, you need the team. I don't think we, we said that loud enough. <laughs> and if we did, then we'll say it even louder. You got to get the right people. Um, be cautiously optimistic about the people that you do talk to an interview and bring on your team. But once you've vetted them and looked at their references and, and um, really had a, a, enough time to vet them out, uh, trust them because they've done a lot of stuff. They, they have a lot of experience, but uh, folks, you don't have this training. You're not supposed to. Don't feel dumb that you don't know this stuff. Just trust your team, um, and and yeah, that that's that's the heart of it. Is if you want to get into ownership, and even if you're a, an owner like your wife, sometimes that team can
1: really make the difference of getting over that hump. Yeah. Wow. Well, hey, thank you for sharing so generously with us and, and just sharing your heart and your knowledge. And, and I know I certainly have just a much better picture of right once again, why ownership is so important to, to launch in your career and right. Just having that solid idea of what the next steps are, like get clear on like, what's important to you? Where do you want to be? Like, what does the practice you want actually look like? And, uh, if you do that, you're going to feel way more empowered to get into practice ownership and and take those next steps. So, Michael, thank you for, for just your commitment to the industry and for helping dentists out.
2: Love it. Yeah, you too, Tim. It's It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, but, uh, you know, for all our listeners, remember, don't just listen to this. If all you did was listen, you just wasted your time, right? Successful people do what unsuccessful people don't. They take action and they implement. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to thrive in the midst of an uncertain world. And if you take action on these, you're going to get out there and you're going to make it a fantastic day. Until next time, we'll see you again here soon on Dental Wealth Nation. Thanks again, Michael. Thanks, buddy.
0: You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com.